Ruth chapter 3 and we'll work our way through this whole chapter together today as we think about the theme of our risk and God's rewards our risk and God's rewards well you can put your hand up if you like waiting for things who likes to just sit and wait and wait and wait even, even though we're Presbyterian, I, I don't expect too many hands to go up anyway for this, for this question. Who, we don't really particularly like to just sit around and wait for things. We don't see a long queue at Tesco and think, fantastic, I was hoping to have to stand in a Sainsbury's. I was hoping to have to stand in a long queue at the supermarket today and wait. None of us get a confirmation email when we order something and see that it says expected in six to eight weeks and think brilliant I can wait six to eight weeks someone once sang that the waiting is the hardest part most of us by nature are not very good at waiting certainly I'm not very good at waiting but as we arrive at Ruth chapter 3 we find Ruth and Naomi waiting and waiting and waiting It's about six or seven weeks since the end of chapter two. So they have been waiting around for almost two months. They are waiting for their two greatest needs to be met. They need life and they need land. They need life and they need land. These two women are widows. With no man and no children in the house, they risk having their names wiped out from the community of God with no claim to the land of God and no claim to, be, to belong to the people of God. Naomi is an Israelite, so she does own a piece of land. But if she doesn't have an heir, then that land will pass out of her family to someone else. And God has given a, a law to Israel for this exact situation of, of losing a, a husband or a son before uh, redemption, before, before the land could be claimed. Uh, This was the law of the kinsman redeemer. And we read a bit about it earlier. Uh, This law said that if a woman became widowed with no heir, uh, then a relative of her dead husband, a brother or an uncle or whoever else, uh, could marry the woman or he could buy the land or both. So the kinsman redeemer was a safety mechanism for the poor and widows. He could keep the family name alive through providing a firstborn son. The kinsman redeemer could provide life and land. Ruth and Naomi do have a kinsman redeemer in their town, at least one that they know of. His name is Boaz. And we saw in chapter 2 that Boaz is a godly man. He, He has growing respect for Ruth. He's seen how hard she works. He's given her a job. He's provided Naomi and Ruth with food. And he is a near relative of Naomi's dead husband, Ruth's father-in-law. And so Naomi advised Ruth at the end of chapter 2 to keep close to Boaz and see what happens. But now that the barley and wheat harvests are almost over, the season is coming to an end and nothing has happened. Ruth and Naomi have been waiting and waiting and nothing has happened. Ruth's source of income is about to come to an end. Their needs have not been met. Boaz hasn't said anything more to them. And they haven't said anything more to Boaz. And so chapter 3, friends, is really uh, the stakes being raised, if you like. This is, there's an element of risk and danger and tension 
in chapter 3. Naomi and Ruth cannot wait any longer. Their future is on the line. And what follows is exciting but potentially dangerous for these women. Uh, Just two points to, to highlight as we look through the passage today. First of all, a necessary risk. A necessary risk. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Naomi says to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, those words are important because they show us Naomi's true motivation in this chapter. Uh, Some people take issue with some of the things Naomi tells Ruth to do in this chapter. They think this was scandalous, this was dangerous, Naomi was exposing Ruth to ridicule or mockery or even worse. Why did she do what she was doing? But here we see her true motivation. And her true motivation, friends, is to see Ruth provided for. And and this shows progress in Naomi. She is no longer the bitter woman that she was when she arrived back in Bethlehem. You remember when she came back from Moab with Ruth and she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means sweet. Call me Mara. God has dealt very bitterly with me. And it wasn't Naomi that went out to look for work or for food. It was Ruth that went out to do those things. But here, friends, Naomi is beginning to think of the needs of others. Ruth went out to provide for her. And now Naomi is thinking about needing to provide for Ruth. She realizes that she won't be around forever to help Ruth, uh, to look after her as best she can in Bethlehem. She needs to get things sorted out. And Naomi has heard that Boaz will be at the threshing floor this very night, guarding his grain. At harvest time, the the wheat was taken to the threshing floor by the farmers. And in late afternoon, uh, the the Mediterranean breeze would blow from west to east across the land. And the farmers would gather up their harvest with big forks. They would toss it up into the air. And that would separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, and the, the dead, dry husks and stalks would be taken away by the breeze. The farmer would be left with his golden wheat harvest. And then, of course, the farmers had to guard their harvest because this was their means of income and food for the next several months. It was very valuable. And so the farmers would sleep at the threshing floor after a long day's work before taking the harvest home. And Naomi here sees a perfect opportunity for Ruth to go and speak to Boaz and ask for his help. So Naomi's motivation is good, but her plan is terribly risky. Not only does she want Ruth, a single woman, to go to the threshing floor in the middle of the night, which could have been interpreted entirely the wrong way in itself, but in verse 4 she tells Ruth to uncover Boaz's feet and lie by them until he notices her. Now it doesn't matter what culture or time or place you're in, friends, that is a tense and tempting and intimate situation for a man and a woman to be in. Not only that, but at harvest time, everyone was guarding their grain at the threshing floor. It was dark, lots of people were milling around full of food and drink after a day celebrating the harvest who knew what would happen especially in the day of the judges when everybody did what was right in their own eyes 
This is a risky plan which could go terribly wrong. But look how the story unfolds. Look what Ruth says when she is discovered by Boaz. Boys and girls, this is the verse on your sheet today. Chapter 3, verse 9. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You are a redeemer. Now, why does she say it that way? Why does she say, spread your wings over your servant? Well, if you glance back to chapter 2, verse 12, this is when Boaz met Ruth for the first time, and he sees her genuine faith, and he declares, chapter 2, verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so here at the threshing floor, Ruth is, if you like, reminding Boaz of what he said to her, of what he had been praying for her. He, had been, he basically said to Ruth, I'm praying that God will spread his wings of protection over you. And Ruth is basically saying here to Boaz, well, I need you to be the answer to that prayer. The word she uses for wings there can also mean, in Hebrew, the corners of a garment. Spread your garment over me. For a man to cover a woman with his garment in that culture was the equivalent in our culture of a man giving a woman a diamond ring. It was a marriage proposal. It was a way of saying, I'm going to provide for you. So Ruth has woken up Boaz in the middle of the night and essentially asked him to marry her. Or as one preacher says, she's not proposing to him, but she is proposing that he propose to her. don't know if you've ever come across a woman who had to do that, propose that the man propose, but this is essentially what Ruth is doing. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Here's Ruth's bold yet humble faith coming through again. You're a redeemer, Boaz. You, you said you would be praying that God would provide for me. Well, how about you provide for me and, and you be the answer to that prayer? Again, this was an incredibly risky plan. It's not as if Ruth and Naomi have spent a huge amount of time with Boaz. What if he wasn't quite as honorable a man as he first appeared? What if after a merry night of eating and drinking, rather than being in the mood to answer Ruth's requests, he's in the mood to make requests of her in the dark threshing floor where no one would see and no one would know and probably no one would judge because of the particular sinful culture that they were in? Or what if someone did see this, did see Ruth going to the threshing floor and gossip began to spread about what kind of woman this Moabite was? Or what if Boaz just didn't want to help? Ruth risked humiliation here. Ladies, I don't imagine too many of you would be keen to ask a man to marry you. How much harder it would have been for Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, the poor widow. He's a rich, respected Israelite man. And yet, friends, as risky and perhaps hasty as all of this was, on one level at least, it was a necessary risk. If these women didn't approach the Redeemer, then they wouldn't receive blessing 
from the Redeemer. If these women did not approach the Redeemer, then they wouldn't receive any blessing from the Redeemer. Their greatest needs would not be met. And the good news for you and I with our needs today is that we can approach our Redeemer without any risk whatsoever. And we do have needs today. Some of you perhaps need salvation today. You need to be redeemed from, cleansed of, forgiven of your sin. You need a guarantee of eternal life. Not just that you have a a guarantee of a job or a car or a house, but a guarantee of everlasting life, which will never end, unlike all those other things that are here today and gone tomorrow. A guarantee of everlasting life rather than everlasting punishment for your sins as you deserve. There's only one Redeemer, able, willing, and qualified to provide all of that for you, Jesus Christ. And it's no good simply knowing that he's out there. Naomi and Ruth knew that Boaz was out there and that he was a worthy man, that he could help them, but they had to go to him. Some of you here today or listening in from elsewhere today, some of you know all about Jesus and yet you haven't gone to him. He's waiting for you. He's calling to you. Not because he needs you. Not because Jesus is lonely or Jesus is lacking self-esteem or Jesus needs a friend. He calls to you because you need him and the redemption that he can provide. And Jesus is infinitely better than Boaz because Jesus calls to us. Boaz was not calling to Boaz and, or to Ruth and Naomi But Jesus calls to us day by day, hour by hour, even right now especially as his word is preached. And there is no risk of humiliation with Jesus, no risk that anything will go wrong, that he will ignore you, that he won't be able to help you. There's no risk that he's going to reject you. All who come to me, says Jesus, I will never cast away. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Laden down with the guilt of your sin. Laden down with sorrow. Laden down with broken heartedness. Or a feeble body. Or an uncertain future. Or a fear of death. Come to me, he says. With all of that. And I will give you rest. That's what Naomi wanted for Ruth. You remember, I need to provide rest for you, Ruth. Jesus can provide rest for our souls. The only thing you risk when you come to Jesus, friends is your sin, your pride, your self-reliance. You risk perhaps holding on too tightly to the, the stuff and the priorities of this world and instead perhaps having to give some of that into the hands of your Redeemer. That's all you risk when you come to him. But he is the only one who can save you and the risk is therefore worth it. And for those of us who have come to the Redeemer, Coming to him is not something we do once. It's something that we should be doing constantly, weekly, if not daily. Do we go immediately to the the Redeemer about whatever needs may be coming up in our lives? Our awkward workplace situations, our, our marriage stresses and strains, the burdens that we carry for our family or for our future the efforts that we want to make to to witness, to speak, 
to those who don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we as a church going to go to our Redeemer this autumn, praying together and individually that he will be pleased to build us up as a church and to send us out as salt and light in our communities and our families? Do you go to your Redeemer for your assurance and your sense of identity and value and worth and not to the false Redeemers and false Messiahs of this world? One writer has put it well, Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Is there something that you're holding back from bringing to your Redeemer because you think it's too small or he's not able to handle it because you think he won't care? Is there some situation that you're holding back from him because deep down you know that you're going to have to change? There's nothing, friends, that we shouldn't risk, in a sense, taking to our Redeemer. There's nothing too small for him. There's nothing too silly or too easy for him to deal with. Just as we we don't turn away our little children when they come and bear their souls to us, no matter how strange or small their problems may be to us, it's big to them, and so we listen to them, we care for them, and we provide for them. And similarly, friends, there's nothing that our Redeemer doesn't want to hear about from us. If you need to approach your Redeemer today, just do it. Just do it. A necessary risk. But then secondly and finally today, a wonderful reward. A wonderful reward. We're at the threshing floor with Ruth. We're wondering what will happen to her. It's dark. Boaz has done a hard day's work. He's had a good dinner. He's gone to bed a happy man with his harvest by, uh, right beside him. He's tired. He's ready for his bed. He wakes up in the middle of the night and this vulnerable young woman from his field is at his feet proposing that he propose to marry her. It's a potentially tempting, tense situation. But what's the first thing that Boaz says? What is, what's the first thing that goes through his mind when he's placed in this situation? Look at verse 10. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Boaz's first thoughts, friends, are of God and of Ruth's well-being. God and Ruth's well-being. This wealthy, respected man could have done whatever he wanted here on one level, in the dark of night with no one around. And in fact, the language, used, the, the language the writer uses in the original here is suggesting that there is sexual tension in the air. Verse 8, a woman at his feet, a man and a woman alone in the dark. But all the tension vanishes the second Boaz opens his mouth. The first name he speaks is the name of God, Yahweh. And that in itself should be a lesson for us when we're tempted to sin in any way, certainly uh, in sexual sin, sexual temptation. Name God. Remember his word and his will in the midst of your temptation. You remember Joseph and Potiphar's wife and Joseph said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? And Boaz here, if he was tempted in any way, follows a similar 
path. He declares the name of God. He considers what God wants him to do and what is best to do rather than what would be easy to do. And look how gracious Boaz is to Ruth yet again. He commends her for her faith, her loving kindness. The word is chesed in the original, one of the, the key words of the book. He says that Ruth's loving kindness to Naomi has increased because Ruth hasn't just gone out and looked for a husband among any of the younger men in Israel. Uh, she, has, she has sought Boaz in marriage because that's, Boaz is not just a good husband for Ruth, but he also then provides for Naomi's needs, being the relative of her dead husband. And so he's saying that you're being so gracious, you're being so kind to consider your mother-in-law and not just do whatever is best for you. He says to her as well, do not fear, do not fear. And as the audience, we breathe a huge sigh of relief there. Yes, Boaz knows, Boaz understands, he's going to help. He says to Ruth in verse 11, All my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. That's the same language as we find in Proverbs 31.10. An excellent wife who can find. An excellent wife. She is more precious than jewels. Well, Boaz says that's what type of woman Ruth is. An excellent woman. A worthy woman. Notice again, friends, the loving kindness of Boaz here. Ruth has only been in this country for a few months. And yet Boaz says, everybody can see that she's a, a genuine, faithful, worthy woman. Boaz speaks so graciously and encouragingly to Ruth. Boaz, we don't really know entirely all his circumstances, but Boaz is perhaps the most eligible bachelor in town. A worthy, wealthy, godly man. And he reassures this vulnerable young woman. He listens to her. He honors her. What a, what a wonderful reward for the risks that Ruth took in coming to Boaz. And most importantly, Boaz pr promises. He promises to provide the help that Ruth needs. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. And the author wants us to hear the regret in Boaz's voice there. He says, I would love to redeem you, but there's actually someone who is closer to you than I am. But he says, Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. As it turns out, Boaz is not obligated to marry Ruth. There is someone closer in line than him. But he says, I'll go and sort this out. I'll check up and see if this other man, this other redeemer is willing to do it. If not, I'm happy to marry you. And he says, basically, go home and wait and I'll get it sorted out. Uh, and Boaz here also gives a guarantee of his intentions to Naomi. He sends Ruth home with six measures of barley. That's about 80 pounds worth. And look what Ruth says to Naomi about the barley in verse 17. He said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Good tip, young people, when you're thinking about marriage, make sure to impress the future in-laws. Make sure to show them a bit of love as well. Uh, but Boaz here, he's giving Naomi a guarantee. He's saying, I promise I am going to provide. Here's a little bit of what I'm going to provide already. And I'm going to provide far more than that in due course. 
And Naomi gets the message. If you look at what she says in verse 18, she says, wait, my daughter. One commentator says, this is like saying, sit tight, sit tight. This Boaz is a worthy man. He'll, he'll, go, he'll sort this out. If he says he's going to sort it out, he'll sort it out. It was only barley, but friends, this was Boaz saying to Naomi, Naomi, you might have come back into Bethlehem empty-handed. I'm going to make sure you're never empty-handed again. I'm going to provide. And so by the end of the chapter, having waited and waited, Naomi is able to sit tight because she's left it all in the hands of her Redeemer. Friends, if Ruth and Naomi were able to trust Boaz, how much more, how much more can we trust our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe like Naomi and Ruth, you're in a time of your life where you're waiting. You're waiting for an end to singleness. You're waiting for life-changing news, important results. Some of you are waiting for an end to sickness. Some of you are waiting to see what happens with some of your family members. As Christians, we're all waiting, ultimately, for King Jesus to return. Notice the last thing Naomi says in this chapter again, verse 18, wait. If you've taken your needs to your Redeemer, all that's left to do is wait. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. If Naomi was able to trust in the word of Boaz, friends, we can trust in the word of God for those things that haven't yet happened, but which he has promised will happen. Perhaps today we have needs that we'd be too embarrassed to tell anyone else about. Do you realize that God already knows what that need is? Do you realize that he knows exactly how to meet that need? Jesus Christ is ready and willing to have you come to him, and all who come to him he will never cast out. And just as Boaz uh, was in a far higher position in society than Ruth, and nonetheless became her servant, he says to her here in verse 11, I will do for you all that you ask. Just as he, the, the higher, worthier man, was willing to become the servant of Ruth. Friends, we have a saviour who was far higher and worthier and more respected and more powerful than us and who yet chose to humble himself and become our servant. Paul says in Philippians 2, he who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being found in human form, humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. Friends, Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer because he was willing to humble himself unto death on a cross. He was willing to become one of us in the sense that he was fully human and yet without sin. He was able to do all that was needed for our redemption. And just as Boaz's gift to Naomi, the 80 pounds of barley was a, a guarantee. It was a first fruits, if you like. It was a promise of more to come. So the resurrection of Jesus is a, a promise of an even bigger resurrection to come when all his people are raised to everlasting life, physically and spiritually. And perhaps Naomi's word to Ruth is God's word to you today. 
if you've gone to your Redeemer with your needs and your wants and left them at his feet, all that there is left for you to do is to wait and to trust in him. You may think there are risks involved in going to Jesus today. There are risks to your sin. There are risks to your pride. There are no other risks at all. And in fact, you will be wonderfully rewarded with the promise of everlasting life and the promise of everlasting land, a great inheritance, the new heavens and the new earth. And so your Redeemer says to you today, dear friend, come to me and I will give you rest. Amen.